0: Um, So for those of you that don't know, um, this Sunday is Sanctity of Life Sunday. So we as a church are privileged to acknowledge that and honor that and use this as a Sunday to be able to uh, really... Address it in the Word of God and disseminate as far as the Word of God and what it speaks and what it addresses concerning life. And with that, um, we have two organizations that are represented here. Rebecca is here from the the Boston Crisis Pregnancy Center. The abbreviation is BCPC. That's what I was trying to Rebecca. If you want to stand to your feet, she actually there's a table out in the foyer, um, and I would encourage you after service to go see her and to receive materials and. um, what we're encouraging people to do is, if you grab a baby bottle, they've actually made it so convenient you can actually put your coins right through wow. there. Like oh, you don't I even have that. to like take it off or do anything; just pop it right in. Um, but. We are asking if you want to take these baby bottles and just go ahead and collect your loose change. Um, I guess if you wanted to, you could fill it once and then dump your change and fill it again and dump your change and then come back with a really big jar. Um, but Miriam Rayad, actually, between here or the House of Prayer, if you drop off your jar, she'll go ahead and collect them and we'll make sure that we they get back to the appropriate place. Um, so thank you for being here. And there's information on the table. <clears throat> And then we have Pastor Dave Hill. He's from Abundant Grace Church. He pastors in Brighton, um, and his wife, Ingrid Hill. Um, They're here, and he serves on the board for Learn Your Options. He will share more about this today, Um, so you'll be hearing more about this. But um, we invited Pastor Dave here um, because he really is one of the champions for life here in the the Boston, Cambridge, Northeast region. Um, He actually, during his morning presentation, which he did a phenomenal job, I just want I just want to say I commend you, Pastor Dave. Amazing. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, I just want to say this. If there's anybody here today... I understand that this is not a topic that you typically would hear about in church on a Sunday morning. Um, And just as a little disclaimer here at Hilltop, you'll probably hear a lot of those things (laughs) that you wouldn't typically hear. Um, But we always take it from the premise of the Word of God. Um, We will not deviate from the Word of God. But you know, the Word of God really does address some things that in our culture, in our society, the church is sometimes afraid to look at, or even more specifically, afraid to address publicly. And so. I just want to encourage you, if this is something that you have not been acquainted with from hearing it from a biblical perspective, um, please don't in any way feel like you need to like now exit the building because this is going to be offensive, or if anything, I feel like your heart is going to encounter the Lord and see a dimension of Christ that you've never seen. And if there's anything in your life that um, has shame attached to this issue of abortion, we just want to encourage you here today that the ground at the cross is level, That all of us are sinners that are in need of a Savior, and that there is no sin amongst us that is larger. This is an interesting fact, and I just want to say this. In Proverbs 7, it talks about the abominations before God. And when it addresses the abominations before God, it says, A lying tongue, a tongue that sows discord amongst the brethren, hands that shed innocent blood. We have to understand that when God looks at sin, He doesn't see it in categories or degrees. Those are all things that are offensive to him. So for those of us in this room that have sown discord amongst the brethren, our sin stands the same before God as those that have shed innocent blood. And so the ground at the cross is level here today. And so we invited a dear friend of ours because of his heart of compassion and because he doesn't just speak about it, he does take action. And for those of you that don't know, our beginning stages of J Hop, um, Pastor Dave Hill was one of the very, very first pastors to embrace us, to celebrate us, to make us feel welcomed in this city. Um, And he truly is a hero to us, um, the work that he does and the leadership that he gives to Boston. And so we just want to thank you for being here. It's an honor to have you. We love you so much, and come bring us the word.
1: Well, church, we're going to do what we did for first service and just pray for him, but more so just pray for our own hearts and ears that they would be open. Father, we thank you for our friend. Yes. We thank you for the work. And Lord, we um, consider it a great joy to join arms this morning Amen. and to join arms in the future, Lord, when it comes to bringing awareness to this injustice. Jesus, cause your hand to be heavy upon him and bless the Pats today as they walk all over the team that they play. <laughs> yeah. And particularly, we pray for Drew Brady's, uh, Drew Brady's, what's his name? Drew, Tom Brady. I get him confused with Drew Blitzo. It's, so yeah, it's no good, it's no good. But be upon them, anoint them as they walk all over the team that they're playing today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Wow. Okay, so Abram, are you watching the game this afternoon? Okay, so my family, my grandkids are coming over. Guess what I bought for them? Starbursts. Yeah, you can come over, brother. Okay. Yeah, you're welcome. There's going to be a big crowd already. Uh, I love being here because I really believe in this ministry. Uh, Bethany's telling the truth. I got behind Justice House of Prayer. I heard her speak at a big gathering And let's just say she had a little bit of passion on her, okay? (laughs) I think if you look up passion in the Christian dictionary, it says Bethany Temple. (laughs) And she also shared about this vision she had for revival and for awakening and praying. And I was stirred. And I said, wow, I got to support this woman and this ministry. And I want to honor Bethany and Daryl. Daryl's leaving on me. you have to tell them what what I said. When Bethany, and I, so we don't see each other a lot, but when we connect, I really love, you know, hearing what's happening, and I did go to a few of the early, you know, prayer times, and she told me she was engaged. So I said, wow, that's great. And I'm thinking, like, how's that going to work? You know what I mean? It's (laughs) sort of like, you know, is, you know, is Daryl, you know, going to be up for, like, you know, being the head of his family? And then she got pregnant, and I don't know if it was during your pregnancy you told me after you had the child, you realized, like, I I need to invest in my child. I can't lead the ministry like I did before. And so she turned it over to Daryl. And that some people had a little bit of a hard time with it. Because like, hey, Bethany, like you're our leader. And like Daryl's our worship leader. But like you're our lead. Right? So I don't know who. How many of you were here when that happened? Okay, a few of you. (laughs) The others left in, in anger. No. So I love, Bethany, your humility. I love that Daryl, like when he stepped into that, like he has authority on him. Do you know what I mean? So there's something about opening a way for people that is in keeping with God's word and what you're doing that that brings like the blessing and anointing and authority of God. And so I really value your desire to, one, invest in your children, your child. Two, to make room for your husband, because you're a strong woman. And she did that, and it's been great. And, you know, I, I come here. This is the first time I've been to your Sunday service, and it's beautiful. And I, I just love, where's Matt? I mean, he's hilarious, you know what I mean? And, and just all, everything about it is honoring to the Lord. So I'm glad that you were able to do that. Christ was honored And what you did. I really believe that. So I just want to commend you. I want to commend this ministry, as she said, for not being afraid to talk about difficult issues. So this is not an easy issue to talk about. I'm going to share something that was actually uh, written and put together by a friend of mine, John Enzer. He used to pastor a church in Dorchester. And he and his uh, church are very active in pro-life ministry. They actually used to protest outside clinics and do sit-ins. Like nonviolent protests, they'd have they get carried away. They just go lamp the police and carry them away. Some of them went to jail. And they did that because they felt so strongly that this was something that needed to be brought into the light and opposed. And after a while, those that kind of season ended, and his wife and a couple ladies in the church said, We have to do something more than protest abortion. We have to help women who are fearful feel like this is the only thing I can do to, to like, save my life and and not have it be ruined or maybe being pressured. Uh, Anyone who's involved in in pro-life ministry, maybe Barbara with Crisis Pregnancy Centers, if you're a counselor, the pressure on women is huge to have an abortion. So we have to help them make the right decision. And so that's how the Crisis Pregnancy Center got started. Not only did he uh, do... Several centers here in Eastern Massachusetts, do you know where he 's starting crisis pregnancy centers now? China, Cuba. Do you know how many abortions there are in, in China with the one child policy, which has now been bumped to a two child policy like tens of millions there 's actually an imbalance between ages of zero and forty there 's twenty million more men in China than there are females They've, like, it's so it 's created crime girls get kidnapped in China to be to be made wives. It's like the whole society has been turned into chaos through this one child only policy. So the point is God's really using him. This is a message that he's preaching over there and like thousands, literally thousands of churches have have, have heard the message. So I'm going to share it with you, trying to share what scripture says. Hopefully it will help you. If you have questions, feel free afterwards to come and talk to me. So our first point is this. God is life, and he gives life. Proverbs says, whoever finds me finds life. Genesis 2, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Job says, in his hand is the life of every living thing, the breath of all mankind. We're alive because God created us and he breathed life into us. He put a spirit in us. We're not just flesh and blood. We have a spirit. We're made in his image. And Jesus said, of course, I am the way, the truth, and the what? Life. Christ is the giver of life. He is the message of life. He gives the words of life. He is the light of life. He brings the gift of new life. In him is abundance of life. He died so we could have what? Everlasting life. So to love God is to love life. To be Christ-like is to be for life. Can we say amen to that? All right. What does God value most in all of his creation? People. Isn't that great? You have made them a little lower than the angels, crowned them with glory and honor. Jesus said, You are more valuable than the many sparrows. God takes care of the little birds. How much more will He take care of you? God wants us to, to believe that. Why does God value human life more than all else in His creation? Because he made men and women equally in his image. We're made like him. We can communicate. We can talk. We can love. We can give. We can cry. We can create. That's something that is unique among human beings and all of God's creation. God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. To hurt another human being is to attack the integrity and glory of God. Genesis 9, 6. Yes, you must execute anyone who murders another person. For to kill a person is to kill a living being made in God's image. That is so sobering. You know, it's not really healthy for us how much we watch people get blown away on our TV shows and movies. I'm just just being honest. I find the older I get, the less I can watch movies like that. I'm like, why am I being entertained by seeing somebody getting blown away. Why is that enjoyable? And so we have to we have to get over that. And, you know, this, this is a, a scripture people use for capital punishment a lot. I can't get into that subject right now, but just so you know, in scripture, under Jewish law, no one could ever be put to death except on the testimony of two or three eyewitnesses. So probably most of the people on death row in America today, if it was a biblical system of justice, wouldn't be there because there weren't two or three eyewitnesses. So that's just to put a plug in that God's word is worth following. Next, God says blood is precious for life is in our blood. The psalmist says precious uh, is the blood in God's sight of those who die in the Lord. Leviticus 17, for the life of every creature is its blood, its blood is its life. I've given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Can you imagine if we had to offer a blood sacrifice for our sins? I mean, sometimes I just imagine, what what was it like at the temple? What was it like at the tabernacle in the Old Testament? There's like hundreds of of lambs and oxen and, you know, animals being killed. And they cut their throats. They drain out all the blood. I mean, there's a wash in blood. I don't even know what they did with it all. That's how serious sin is. Sin is of such a magnitude that God says it takes life blood to atone for it. And praise God when he saw Our situation, our inability to save ourselves, he sent his one and only son to become an atoning blood sacrifice for sin. Jesus literally bled out on the cross, which brought our redemption. Hallelujah. What follows from all this? First, God commands us not to shed innocent blood. You shall not murder. Second, God commands us to love our neighbor, to value their life. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as whom? As yourself. I am the Lord. You get the feeling God's really serious about this, isn't he? Just think about that. How many times do we bear grudges against people? I love how accurate Scripture is. It knows just what we're like. Don't even bear a grudge. Be before people. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose what? Life that you and your offspring may live. Next, God sees children as children, whether they are in the womb or outside of it. This is an important point. In the Old Testament and New Testament, child refers to both the preborn and newborn child. Speaking of Jacob and Esau. The children struggled together within her. The same Hebrew word is used for children outside the womb throughout the Old Testament. If you have like a Strong's Concordance and you look up uh, the Hebrew word for children, it's it's bane. And if you see it, it's used in that scripture. And then you look, it's used in, you know, 20 other places. In the New Testament, it's the same. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped within her. Then the shepherds found Mary and Joseph and the baby, same Greek word, lying in a manger. Next, David saw his life as a person in the womb. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together where? In my mother's womb. That's a powerful thought. Personhood begins at fertilization. The person Cain was conceived and born. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. God recognizes people from the womb. God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, what did I do? I knew you. Wow, that's profound. I've called you to be a prophet to the nations. I appointed you from before you were born. Scientifically, all the information necessary for you to become a fully formed adult was present when you were a zygote in your mother's womb. Okay, so a zygote is the, uh, when a sperm and an egg come together and form a, a new individual. I studied embryology in uh, college. I was studying to be a doctor at that time. And it's absolutely fascinating how two cells keep growing and multiplying, and somehow they know how to have some cells over here begin to form a heart, and some other cells over here form a brain, and some other cells here form a nervous system. Other cells form legs. And um, we would look at slides of like chicks, you know, developing, and you're seeing it happen, and I would say, how can you study this and not believe in God? How do the cells know to do that? The amount of information contained in a single cell in our DNA is overwhelming. It's like more information than's on your computer. So we're not just here by chance, we're not products of evolution. God created us. Even the simplest cells are amazingly complex. And their information system surpasses, you know, your laptop. Praise God. Some of your laptops may be struggling, right? Is that the... <laughs> it better have more information than my laptop. All right, here's some pictures of life in the womb. It's just wonderful to see what a developing child looks like. So that's a baby at eight weeks. Is the baby's heart beating at eight weeks in the womb? Yes, it is. Does the baby have brain waves at eight weeks in the womb? Yes, it does. It's It's remarkable. The next slide is the baby at 12 weeks. Okay, you can see the hands, the arms, the faces being formed. And then finally, life in the womb, a baby at 20 weeks. I love this picture. Look at the thumb, the lips, sucking a thumb in the womb. I looked online. The earliest pre, you know, premature birth where a child has survived is 21 weeks, 4 days. It's, and uh, child, children now that used to die like years ago, they're born at 23 weeks, 24 weeks. Now, like 40% of those children live. Now, the amazing thing is abortion clinics in our city do abortions at 20 and 23 weeks. Women's Health Services in Brookline, I, I just checked their website before, uh, the other day, they advertise abortions up to 23 weeks. So children that are older than that, more developed than that, are taken from their mother's womb. It's just, it's sobering, and it, it's, it's tough. It, to consider these things is hard, but we have to. It's happening. If I threw some pictures up here of what aborted children look like, it, it would be overwhelming. I remember uh, a friend of mine, there was this Christian kind of newsletter that he put out, and he wrote an article on abortion. And I'm reading through it, and I was just a young pastor, 24, 25 years old. I'd never thought about abortion. I just didn't think about it. All through college, never thought about abortion. I mean, I kind of thought it was wrong. Read this article, very compelling, and then on the last page, there was a picture of a bucket with like 20 you know, to 25-week-old babies all from abortion, just dumped in a bucket. And I felt sick to my stomach, and I thought, oh, my goodness. Like, I've been asleep. Let's keep going. John the Baptist worshiped Jesus from womb to womb. This is amazing. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and she exclaimed, Blessed is the fruit of your womb. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So here we have Mary is a virgin. The angel visits her, says, blessed are you among women, blessed the fruit of your womb, you're going to bear a son. She's like, how? That's impossible, I'm a virgin. He said, the Holy Spirit will be coming upon you. That's why his name will be called the Son of God. And so the Holy Spirit came on Mary, the angel leaves, she makes haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's like six months along, and as Mary, now having in her womb, The Son of God, who's just as small as you and I were when we were in our mother's womb, when she comes into the presence of Elizabeth, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And who else is filled with the Holy Spirit? Her baby, John the Baptist. It was prophesied that he would be filled with the Spirit in his mother's womb. So that's the effect. But that happened while Jesus was just some cells. I mean, we can't even like... Get our mind wrapped around it. How can God become that small? He's God and he's human. That's the Lord we worship. So that's an amazing, wonderful story that should encourage us about life in the womb. Abortion is the shedding of innocent blood. Every human being from conception in the womb to death deserves life and respect. Why? Because they're made in the image of God of God. I heard a pastor preach one time. He said this, you will never lock eyes with a person who's not valuable to God. I was really convicted by that. I'm like, amen. God, give me that heart. Give me a heart that everybody I meet is important to you. Doesn't matter how smart they are, how poor they are, what color they are, how old, whether they're like me or not like me, it really doesn't matter. They're like God. God forbids abortion by forbidding the murder of people and showing us that the preborn are people too. A person's a person no matter how small. Some of you who were around a long time ago, that was a favorite saying from Dr. Seuss of Bethany's and. Her now husband used that at a proposal in a movie theater. Is that right? You got proposed to in a movie theater. How cool is that? I don't know if they're going to teach you that on date night or, you know, things like that. But Everybody's married at date night. It's got to be like something else. Okay, the next point here. Personhood is not defined by size, by location, by self-awareness or dependency. Why do I even say that? Because people say, oh, you know, it's just a little baby. It's only an inch or two long. That child is a child. If a woman has a miscarriage, what do we say? Oh, I'm so sorry you lost a blob of tissue. That's not what we say. We say, oh, I'm so sorry you lost your baby. A baby is not any less a baby whether they're wanted or unwanted. A baby's not any less a baby whether they're still in the womb or they've just been born. Do we think it's okay to kill a newborn? No. Well, is it okay to kill a baby like two months earlier just because they're in the womb? No. I'll commend my wife. Um, we are neighbors with our, who was in the past our state senator, and we're friends with him. And uh, he didn't know anything about partial birth abortion, which is abortion in the last three months of pregnancy. So Ingrid got together with him, brought a big life magazine that shows the development of a child, went right through from conception up to birth, told him what partial birth abortion was, and he was horrified. He's like, wow, I'm not going to be for that. He He goes, now Ingrid, so if I'm not for abortion like at six or eight months then what about six or eight weeks? Like, shouldn't I? And she's like, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we have to help people. They don't think about it. Yeah. It's our job to educate. Right. Self-awareness. Sometimes people say, oh, you know, children in the womb aren't self-aware. That's true. Uh, toddlers are less self-aware than a five-year-old. So are we really only going to value people on how self-aware they are, how intelligent they are? There's a guy who's called an ethicist, believe it or not, at Princeton, who advocates outright that parents should be able to kill newborn children. Cuz he says, well, they, they don't have any more, you know, self-awareness than a dog. They don't have any more intelligence than a dog. So what's the big deal? It's shocking. But that's the logical conclusion to the assumptions people have today. A woman in my church came to me. She goes, Dave, I just can't be an Abundant Grace Church. I said, well, why not? She said, because of your stance on abortion. She said, if you outlaw abortion, only rich women will have abortions. I said, well, that's probably true. I said, but we have laws because they're based on truth. Like we have laws against murder. That doesn't stop people sometimes from murdering people. But we say it's wrong. And so we, we have that. And I looked at her and just, it just came out of my mouth. Sister, can you think of anything that our Lord taught while he was on earth that would encourage a woman to have an abortion? And we just stared at each other for like a minute. She couldn't think of anything. There isn't anything that Jesus taught that would encourage us that abortion is the right solution to a difficult situation. He would encourage us that we have to make sacrifices to help people who are in a desperate situation. What is God's response to the shedding of innocent blood? This is very sobering. Scripture says he hears their blood cry out to him for justice and vindication. You know the story of Cain and Abel. So they both offered sacrifices, and Abel offered a more pleasing sacrifice to God. He gave the best of of the fatlings, of of the herd. And Cain was jealous, and God even visited him and said, sin is seeking to master you. It's crouching at the door, but you must overcome it and master it. But he failed. He took his brother out. He killed him. And when God came to him and said, where is? is your brother, what did Cain say? Somebody help me. Am I my brother's keeper? That's a very telling question. What's the answer? Yes, we are. And God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed. God brings wrath and judgment. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You city that brings on herself doom by shedding blood in her midst, you have become guilty because of the blood you have shed. Blood guiltiness. He brings judgment on those of us who fail to stop the shedding of innocent blood. In Deuteronomy 29, if a person was found murdered out in a field or outside the city walls or outside a town, that brought guilt Like someone's been guilty here. And so the elders of the town had to do an investigation. And with the priest, they had to bring a heifer as an offering, kill it. And then they had to confess over it, our eyes have not seen, nor have our hands shed this innocent blood. Because they had to make sure that they were free from the guilt of it. It It's very serious. Next. Abortion is contrary to God, because God especially cherishes children. Amen? Amen. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Wow. Because he loves children, God is most offended by child sacrifice. Any one of the people of Israel who gives any of his children to Moloch shall surely be put to death. There were different gods in the land of Canaan, Moloch, Baal, and part of the worship of these gods was that people would burn their children as a sacrifice. It sounds like, oh my gosh, how could they do that? But they did it. And so that's why God uh, said you cannot... Allow these people to be in your land. You have to drive them out. You cannot allow their idols, their Asherah poles. You cannot take the name of their gods on your mouth. Because if you do, you will be enticed and drawn into their sin. And if you do what they do, I will spit you out of this country. And unfortunately, that's what happened. So Jeremiah, speaking of his own people, said they built high places to offer up their sons and daughters to Moloch. Though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. It never entered God's mind. The last thing he would want is children to be sacrificed. What is an abortion? I mean, just by definition, it's the removal of an embryo or fetus, a growing child, from a woman's body in order to end a pregnancy. The fetus dies as a result. Many children are aborted about this age, six to eight or ten weeks. That's where most abortions happen. Is abortion a form of child sacrifice? This is a very sobering question, so I'm not taking it lightly. So this is what my friend John wrote. When people elect to have or pay for an abortion or let it go unchallenged, in order to save the reputation, get a college degree, save money, hide sexual sin, or to please others, they are sacrificing one thing to get another. The most painful truth of abortion is that it deceives us into doing what, in our right minds, we would be horrified to have even suggested as a solution. Because it's been promoted, it's legal, people are doing something that if they really thought about it, they'd be like, oh my gosh, how could I do that? Afterwards, guilt and Satan bind us in secret shame and regret. There's a woman that you ought to have come speak sometime named Joanne McDuffie. She works for Learn Your Options. She runs a center in Revere. She came to our church, she shared how she had an abortion, and it created so much pain in her that she buried it. She literally forgot about it, didn't think about it, didn't enter her mind until about, it was like 12 or 13 years later. And when it came back to her, it created so much grief in her that she found herself crying and just shaken to the core, and fortunately... Uh, She was Catholic. She was in a church with a guy named Father Tom DiLorenzo who preaches the gospel, and she met Christ. And so she was freed. She was forgiven. She was healed. And she has a a post-abortion ministry for women who have had abortions. So it's one of the great things about pro-life work is they're not out to condemn people. We realize a lot of women don't listen to counselors that we stay in touch with them because we want to minister to them even after they've had an abortion. We want to help them find healing in Christ. Next, how does God teach us to respond? First, we must not kill our babies through abortion, infanticide, or abandonment. Second, we must not passively accept the killing of babies by others. Look at this scripture, Proverbs 24. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, But we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? That's very penetrating. Can any of us here say like, oh, we didn't know this was happening? No, we know it's happening. But it's so big and overwhelming, lots of times we're just incapacitated. So I don't want us to be that way. There are things we can do. One of the reasons I love this ministry is that you pray fervently about abortion and sexual immorality and things that are becoming popular, even in evangelical circles, and say, no, it's contrary to the word of God. And we have to pray. We have to cry out. We have to oppose what God opposes. So I'm glad to be here today. I love your ministry. So stay the course. I hope this helps you get a better grounding in the word of God so you can help people. You can be even more persuasive. Finally, God teaches us to preach that forgiveness, healing, and hope are available through the gospel and grace of our God. Can we say amen to that? Next, Jesus forgives even the shedding of innocent blood. Hebrews 12 says, we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So what did Abel's blood cry for? Justice. Revenge. What does the blood of Jesus cry for? Mercy. Forgiveness. Hallelujah. Praise God. There's hope for people. The worst sins can be forgiven. That's that's why the gospel is good news. So if we take the time though to feel the weight of our sin. Like even as I was going through this and typing it into the computer, I'm sobered. I'm like, "Oh my gosh. Lord, our country is like in serious trouble." And look what's happening in our country. So we have to feel that. We have to help people feel their sinfulness. Until people feel they have sin, they don't sense any need for a savior. And that's hard to do because people feel like we're trying to condemn them. So we have to be able to do it without condemnation, but let the Holy Spirit let them know, well, yeah, you are condemned. Are you with me? You can learn to do that. The Holy Spirit can help us do that. We cannot back down on what Jesus says is wrong, what Scripture says is sinful. Moses, King David, Saul of Tarsus were all what? Murderers. They all found mercy and forgiveness. Saul became the great apostle. Now, Bethany asked me to talk a little bit about why we play, pray at Planned Parenthood. So just some facts about Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is the largest provider of abortions in America. It spent $30 million in the last election to keep its tax-fair funding flowing. They get half a billion dollars from the American government. I just read Planned Parenthood's income last year was $1.5 billion dollars up $100 from the year before. It downplays abortion, falsely claiming that it only makes up 3% of its business. I don't have time to go into how they calculate that, but it's like if a woman comes in for an abortion, she has to get a blood test. She might get an STD test. She might get an ultrasound. So those are three services that Planned Parenthood provides for, and they count those as non-abortion services, even though the woman's coming in for an abortion. So just go to live action. It's it's really telling. Statistically, this is how much uh, Planned Parenthood provides for women's health care. They perform 0.97% of women's pap tests, 1.8% of clinical breast exams, 0% of mammograms, which they don't perform. They do perform 34.9% of all the abortions in this country. So I don't believe it's a mischaracterization to say that Planned Parenthood is all about abortion. Do any of you know who actually started Planned Parenthood? Margaret Sanger. Sanger. Do you know anything about Margaret Sanger? She was a racist. Margaret Sanger was a, a eugenicist. Eugenics is the theory that some people aren't worth keeping alive. And so she, especially poor people who she deemed unfit. This is what Hitler believed. It was popular in America in the 1900s. So Margaret Sanger was eugenicist. What if I read to you some of the things she said, you won't believe it. Sanger said this, excuse me, she wrote, the deterioration in the human stock and the perpetuation of defectives, delinquents, and dependents." unless you have any doubt about what this woman of so-called courage meant... She was committed to reducing the number of African-Americans through contraception. Quoth Sanger, we should hire three or four colored ministers, preferably with social service backgrounds, with engaging personalities. The most successful educational approach to the Negro is through a religious appeal. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. I, it's awful. You can go on and on. You can do a little study of what she believed. Here's another ugly truth behind Planned Parenthood, the disproportionate number of minorities this organization kills and how it sets up shop in poor neighborhoods. According to a report by the New York City Department of Health in 2012, 24,758 African American babies were born. 31,328 were aborted. The Centers for Disease Control reports that in New York City, 78% of abortions in 2011 were to black and Hispanic children. Planned Parenthood is worth opposing. Planned Parenthood is worth defunding. You know what the good news is? How many of you read or heard about a couple years ago how they were selling baby parts? They were selling portions of babies. Well, that word got out, and like it has hurt them. 32 clinics closed last year. Praise God. So why pray at Planned Parenthood? We cannot say, but we knew nothing about this. We know what is happening and we know where it's happening. 1055 Commonwealth Avenue, right down the street from Boston University. They set up shop to target university women. Before God, I want to know that I did something about this evil and opposing it and trying to expose it. I thought about what if I stand before God on the great day of judgment and God says to me, Dave, tens of millions of babies were killed from their mother's womb in America while you were alive. What did you do about it? I don't want to say I did nothing. One of the reasons I go and pray at Plant Parenthood is for my own soul. I want to remind myself that this is happening, it's terrible, it's evil in the sight of God. It should be opposed and ended. So I just need to be there and pray to remind myself this is happening. I can't say I don't know. I totally know. And it's just my self-centeredness and wanting to be comfortable and happy that I don't think about it. Another reason I pray at Planned Parenthood is women change their minds. There are dedicated Christians who approach women and try and get them to change their mind day of the abortion. And that's kind of controversial. Most of the people who do this are full of compassion and love. There are occasionally people who kind of are harsh. I've seen them. But most of the people aren't that way. So my friend Eleanor McCullen, are we okay on time? Okay. My friend Eleanor McCullen that uh, you mentioned in the first service. There's a woman who's anointed by God in this ministry. She was 65 years old. This is the story she told me. Dave, I was 65. I was a Catholic grandma. You would have thought I was great. She goes, I was lost. That's just how she says it. And she was at a mass, Father Tom DiLorenzo, Lorenzo. she's looking at her watch saying, how much longer is this guy going to talk? And the Holy Spirit fell on her. And she started weeping. Isn't that great that someone 65 who's just gone to church their whole life can be touched by the Holy Spirit that way? And so she went and she said, I just fell in love with Jesus. All of a sudden that Jesus died for my sin meant everything to me. And she went to the priest. He goes, well, you need to put your faith into action. Why don't you go and pray down at the abortion clinic? And she's like, ah, I can't do that. He goes, well, you have to take a step of faith. You're a disciple of Christ. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. So she went. And so she went down there once a week or however often. She went down and prayed. She's 65 years old. One day she's down there praying, and uh, Bill Cotter is the man who organizes the sidewalk counselors, comes up and says, uh, Eleanor, the person scheduled to counsel people today isn't here. Why don't you try and talk to people? And she's like, I can't do that, Bill. He goes well. Try. We're like we need you. And so she saw a guy come out of the clinic. She had seen him take his wife or girlfriend, whoever. In so she said, "Dear Lord, please give me words. I don't know what to do." She took a step of faith. She talked to the guy. She goes, "Hi, you know, how are you?" Here you know what I mean? She goes. Um, she just it just came. She goes, "You know, do you know when a baby's heart starts beating?" He goes, "Oh, I don't know, like." Six or seven months, she goes, No, she was like six weeks. He goes, Really? Do you know when a baby has brain waves? Oh, I don't know, like six or eight months. She goes, No, like by four to six weeks. The guy got convicted. And she keeps talking to him. She goes, Well, why don't you go back in and get your you know girlfriend or wife to come out? He goes, Oh, I don't know. He goes, Well, why don't you try? He went in, talked to her. She came out. They have a child today who's like 15 years old. They stay in... Yeah, go ahead and clap. They've stayed in touch with Eleanor. their friends. This is just an estimate. I don't know exactly how many. I would estimate in the last 15 years, Eleanor has probably done that over 300 times. There are literally hundreds of children alive today... Because this woman who looks like your grandmother says, "How can I help you today?" And she's got a big sign: "Help, hope, and love." It's great. She has a, and she personally has spent God only knows how much money. She buys baby clothes. She buys, she finds places for people to live. She and her husband are well off, and they invest their money in helping women choose life. It's great. So I put here, support a crisis pregnancy center. By all means, grab a baby bottle on the way out. Talk to Barbara, right? Rebecca, I'm sorry, Rebecca. Talk to Rebecca. Find out about what they're doing. Grab one of my sheets about learn your options. The next uh, thing we have here is a, a picture. Can we have the next slide? This is an ultrasound clinic, so we can do ultrasounds. Learn your options through the uh, wisdom of John Enzer, when it was started, became a licensed medical center in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. It's not easy to get that license. Boston Crisis Pregnancy Center has been trying to get that license. They they thought they had an office down near Chinatown, and when people found out what they were trying to do and trying to be a medical center, pushed them out. So we let other centers use our mobile clinic. So last year, we coordinated, and I think once a week, we brought our mobile clinic so they could get women who were conferring and counseling with them to see an ultrasound. They found over 60% of women who see an ultrasound of their baby change their minds about having an abortion. Because you see the child. I mean, it's like picture's worth a 1,000 words. So, in 25 years, Learn Your Options has that we know of has seen 2,500 children born through moms who changed their minds. Getting that ultrasound was the biggest thing we did years ago. It's not cheap to do this. That vehicle costs about $150,000. We are always on the edge financially. But so many um, centers are saying, "Can you please bring your ultrasound, you know, bus to our place?" That our goal is actually to buy another one. We're still struggling, like underpaying for the old one, but we want to buy another one because there's a need. So you can get involved. You can come down and pray. We just pray once a month, the third Saturday of the month. We go early at seven fifteen. If you know, come with us a few times. If that's too early. Every Saturday morning, there are people praying there. Sometimes it's Catholic people praying the rosary. We welcome them, give them a hug, but we go over and pray. And we just pray like you would pray at a one of your prayer sets. We pray, we sing, we quote scripture. I pray for your ministry because I believe, because of your fearlessness on this issue, I pray every month, God, give them uh a greater anointing, give them a greater audience, give them greater influence, let them impact more young people in their 20s and 30s. So I'm glad your ministry's growing. I wanna see it double and triple. I wanna see your influence grow because you uphold the Word of God. I'll leave it at that. God bless you all. All right, Bethany, how are we gonna end this? Yes, I will pray for you. So let's pray together. Abba, Father, I thank you for this wonderful family of brothers and sisters. Abba, first I pray that you will continue to soften our hearts. Lord, let us be burdened with what burdens you. This is something that burdens you. Give us grace to bear it. To weep over it. To take action. To keep praying. To give our money. To stand outside on a sidewalk and pray that people will change their mind. To pray that the, thing, the place will go out of business. There used to be four or five abortion clinics in Boston. Now there's only two. Praise God. Our prayers have been heard Father, I pray that your spirit would impress on everybody here what step of faith you want them to take today. Whatever God's putting on your heart, just lay hold of it. Father, let courage rise up in our hearts. Let us be like Eleanor who was afraid of something, but she stepped out and did it anyways. And Father, I do pray again that you will Just keep molding this ministry. Thank you for Bethany and Daryl. Father, I pray they'll grow. I pray their influence among Christians will grow. I pray their ability to reach people who don't know Jesus will grow. I pray lots of people will be baptized and filled with the Spirit and added into this congregation. Lord, bless them for praying for revival. Just help all of us, Father, not give up and not lose heart. Father, we thank you that no one can stop you from doing what you've planned to do in the city of Boston. But help us, Lord. Help us get our wills in line with your will and our lives in line with you so that we can be part of another great awakening. For the glory and the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.